Thank you so much, Ashish. All good. <clears throat> well, it is great to be speaking again. It feels like it's been a long time since uh, I was speaking uh, here. And uh, we've been, it was just such a wonderful week last week with uh, Dave, wasn't it? Uh, if you were here. And we had such, it was, it was great, just the time of ministry we had afterwards. Colin's word that he brought to us today uh, is so important. Because it isn't about a select few here doing ministry. It's not a select few of us that are ministers. It's all of us. You know, we are all in full-time ministry. Some people are full-time paid, but all of us, whether we are in ministry in our school or in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, we are all in full-time ministry. God does not have a select few favorites that he chooses to move through. Jesus died for all of us. If we've received Jesus, we're all ministers of the gospel. So it's such an important word, and it's such an important thing of identity. It's part of the reason why, if you know me for long, I'm not big on people calling me pastor, because I do not want to create a hierarchy here. That we are, you know, the hierarchy, the idea that somehow I am more anointed by God than you. The truth is, is that you all have different gifts. We're all one body together, and we all are, are called by God to use those different gifts in the way that he uses, in the way that he's gifted us. And when we do that, then we really are able to just be the church that God's called us to be and have the impact that we're meant to have on the world around us. Unfortunately, in our society, this whole spectator mentality of Christianity has had such a negative effect. They've done studies in the U.S., and it says that where megachurches are present, that the, the, the cities are actually in worse shape, not better. And part of the correlation that they've made, and it's in Christian studies that have done this, is that so often that they, they create, you know, not by, by intention, but by design, a spectator mentality where people attend to hear a message, but then that doesn't translate into how they live their life. The, uh, the thing that we're doing on a Thursday that Greg uh, did this week, the cafe, it is, as Ashish said, a great way to connect with the community. We're there, we have this building, and we want to be able to reach the neighborhood. And so we are opening up the doors just as a test, trying it for the summer. You know, while the pool is open and as people are there, and we had no advertising or anything this week, uh, we hadn't given any advance notice to the people in the community, just put out a couple of signs and they had a bunch of people come in. So this week we're going to be putting out some flyers in the community and uh, just seeing how many more people come in and what opportunities that God gives us there. Well, we have been talking about weakness humility, and vulnerability. And so today, uh, I'm going to speak on that. Greg gave an amazing sermon a couple of weeks ago on this. And uh, today, I want to build on that. I'm going to start off with a scripture from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. And, and here, Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians church, and he's, he's started out by boasting about different people and different things, and you know, basically because the Corinthian church had been challenging, going kind of, who are you? you know? We've got these super apostles that have been coming through, these people we think that are more gifted than you, and uh, you know, should we really listen to you, Paul? 
So he's writing, writing to them in kind of defense of this. And here in, in, in verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So if you feel weak today, you're in a good place, you know? Well, it was great last, you know, last, when we were here last Sunday, I mean, that, that ministry time wasn't planned, it wasn't, hadn't, you know, it was just, hey, there's this sermon that was given, this message was given, it was clear there needed a response. And God moved so powerfully through different people. And God will move powerfully through you, not because you have spent, you know, hours in prayer, not because of the amount of fasting you've done, not because of the amount of scripture you've read that day, but because of your surrender to him. Nothing, I'm not saying fasting or praying or reading scripture are bad things. They're things that for us as followers of Jesus are all good spiritual disciplines, all important practices. But when we start relying in what we do and not in God, we start missing the mark. And God's power doesn't move through us because of us. It's because of him. You know, the people that were touched and healed last week, it wasn't because of Dave or myself or anyone else here that prayed for you. It was the Holy Spirit working through us into your life. It was our surrendering to the power of God working through us to you. And so when you're ministering to people, the good news is it's God working through you, not you that needs to, have to bring something about. It's so important. This belief, this understanding in the goodness of God and that God wants to use you and work through you, but it's not you. It's not you. And, and so this takes away the idolatry that we can have about putting people up on a pedestal of like, oh, this person has this gift and I can never be like this person. No, the Holy Spirit's just on that person working through them. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead who wants to work through each and every one of us. The question is, do we believe it? And when we truly trust that it's not us, it's not our strength, it's not whether we've had a good day or a bad day, that God uses us in our weakness, in our brokenness, then like Paul, we can delight in our weakness. You know, so that Christ's power can be made perfect in our weakness. Him working through each and every one of us. I'm going to focus on a big chunk of scripture today. I'm actually going to focus on the story of Gideon from Judges. Now, if you know the story of Gideon, it is definitely a story of God working in power through weakness. There's a whole, it's, it, it, Gideon's story goes through chapter 6, 7, and 8 of, of the book of Judges. And there's some really, really important things for us to take away from this. 
So just by show of hands, how many people know the story of Gideon? Just put it up if you're like, okay, amazing. A bunch of us are familiar with it. So for those that don't, just to set a bit of context, the book of Judges is chronicling a time in Israel's history where they had been led, they'd, they'd been led out of Egypt, they'd gone through the desert for 40 years, and now and they had taken the promised land, and now they were living in the promised land. And it was this period where they did not have a king. That God was the one ruling over them. They, they, they did not have a king. But at, from time to time, God would raise up somebody within the Israelite community to lead them. Just before Gideon, it had been Deborah. And the, uh, Deborah had rescued them from a particular situation. And the land had had peace for 40 years. But during that time of peace... The Israelites had turned away from God and they turned to worshiping Baal. Now, Baal was a, you know, Baal worship was, Baal was one of the Canaanite gods. He was one of the gods that, that God the Father, Yahweh, had said to the Israelites, when you go into the promised land, do not worship. Don't get ensnared and start worshiping the gods of that land. And if we go even farther back to Deuteronomy, as God led the Israelites out of Egypt, they had made a covenant with God in the desert. And God had said to them, he gave them a list of things saying, look, I will go with you. Because they're like, hey, we do not want to go. We don't want to go into the promised land without you. And, and God's like, well, I'll go with you. But these are the requirements. If I'm going to go before you into the promised land, if I'm going to lead you into the promised land, then you know, there's a number of different things. And one of these things is like, hey, you cannot turn to the gods of that land. And if you do, then I'm going to leave you. I, I, will, I will hand you over to those gods. And so true to his word, that is what he did. So it says here at the, in Judges 6.1 that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. And while they were... In the hands of the Midianites, the Midianites were just destroying them. They were coming in. They were taking all their crops. They were taking all their wealth. They'd, they had basically stripped the land to the point that the Israelites were starving. And it was at that point, after their Baal worship, the seven years, they kept worshiping Baal. And they, at this point, they just, okay, we better cry out to, we better cry out to Yahweh. We better cry out to the Lord. And so it says here in verse 6 that the Midianites so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. In verse 7, it then says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. But despite all that, despite all that, you know, God came. He sent the angel of the Lord. He came and he came to Gideon. And called Gideon to come defeat the Midianites on behalf of the Israelites. 
So the first thing that when he calls Gideon, he does, he, he gets him to destroy you know, the, the altar to Baal. Now, worship of Baal, it was, Baal was a god of fertility. So worship to Baal involved a whole lot of sexual promiscuity, orgies, homosexuality, um, heterosexual orgies. It involved sacrificing your firstborn child at certain points. So it's a pretty nasty God to be actually a form of worship. So they would have an altar to Baal, and they would have a pole that basically looked like a giant penis, and that's what they would worship. And so Gideon, the first thing he had to do was wipe these things out. And he did, and the people were all freaked out. The fact that, you know, who is it that's destroyed the altar to Baal? Who's torn down the Asherian pole? And, you know, they're asking around. They find out it's him, and they come, and they're, they're, going, to, they're going to, you know, kill him for doing it. And actually, his father stands up and is going, hey, who, you know, if Baal was so great, where has he been? And, how, you know, if Baal is so great, why doesn't Baal defend himself? If Baal's really a god... Why did he let his altar be destroyed? You know, any one of you that's going to stand up, stand against this is going to be dead by the morning. And so the people were just like, okay, fine. We just wash our hands of this. And they nicknamed um, Gideon, I can't remember, Jera Ball, which basically meant, you know, Ball will deal with you. So here, they've, all, they've already called it, they've called it to God for help, but they're still worshiping Ball. They're still worshiping Ball. And so God chooses Gideon. He says, Gideon, you're going to go and you're going to lead these people and you're going to destroy the Midianites. And they, he says here in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But then Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Well, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern people, they join forces, they come together, they cross the Jordan, they camp out uh, in the valley of Jezreel, and Gideon is scared. And so he's like, God, if you've really called me to do this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put out a fleece, and if that, I'm going to put it on the threshing floor, and if it gets covered in dew tonight, then I'll know that's a sign that you've called me to do this. And so he puts it out, and the next morning, there's the fleece, and he takes it, and he wrings it out, and there's all this water that comes out of the fleece that was covered in dew. But he's like, Lord, please bear with me, but I'm just going to do this one more time to make sure it's really you. So tonight, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to put it out on the floor, and I want everything else to be covered in dew and it to be dry. God's like, okay, well, here we go. So he, God responds, and the, the fleece is dry the next morning, and everything around it is wet. It's like, okay, you've definitely called me to do this. You know? So what does he do? He then 
says to Gideon, he goes, listen, Gideon, you have too many men. You've got a lot with you. And I can't deliver Midian into their, into their hands because Israel would boast that they did it by their power. My own strength has saved me, they would say. So now announce to the army, God says to Gideon, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And so 22,000 men left and 10,000 men remained. Now, it describes the armies that were there with the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other Eastern people, and it describes them saying that they were more numerous, the camels were more numerous than the grains of sand you know, by the sea. Very dramatic statement to say you couldn't even count it. There, you know, the, there were so many people, you couldn't even count the number of camels that they had with them. So now we've gone from you know, 30,000 and change down to 10,000. And God's like, Gideon, still too many people. Still way too many people. And so when he says that, he's like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And so God basically, he takes him down to the water and says, tell him to drink. And those that lap up the water are the ones that are, are going to go with you. And so that 10,000 gets whittled down to 300 people. 300 people. And with those 300 people, by God going before Gideon, they completely wipe out all those armies. And God, God wipes out the armies. It's not the 300. It's God going. And God, uh, you know, turning them against each other, wiping them out. And these 300 people deliver Israel from the Midianites and the Amalekites. That sounds a pretty good, if it ended there, it's a great story. And often we end the story there. But when you keep reading the story, you keep reading what was going on and what was happening, that after, after he pursued them, after they got their victory, you know, he, said, you know, he said to those that were around him, some of the other tribes of Israel that were, that were involved in the fight, he said, listen, out of your plunder, just give, me, just give me gold ring, the one gold earring. And apparently the Amalekites and Midianites, they, they wore gold earrings. And so he had a whole lot of gold. And he took that gold and he made what was called an ephod, which was basically a garment. He turned it into a gold garment. And then he put it in his hometown. But then people started worshiping that. They started worshiping the gold garment. And so... With the worship of that gold garment, it started ensnaring Israel again. It says actually in, in Judges 8 that the Israelites started prostituting itself to the gold garment. And it even ensnared Midian's family. But despite this, or Gideon's family, despite this, with Gideon, there was another 40 years of peace in the land. They'd wiped out the Amalekites another 40 years. Seems to be a theme, 40 years. And... Um, when he died, though, the Israelites went back to worshiping Baal. And there's, there's so many things that are important to us in this. You see, our weakness, 
we see the story of weakness. I mean, that weakness is there from the time, I mean, slaves led out of Egypt, you know, in a place of absolute weakness, but by the strength of God, miracle after miracle in the desert, leading them to the promised land. They go to the promised land. The first time they look at it, the giants are so big, they're like, we can't do this, we can't go in. And they're like, they don't believe that God's going to do it. So he's like, fine, wander around the desert for 40 years, and then, then we'll try this again. And then they go back in, and that time they do. And they, those giant people, they wipe out. Why? Not because of their strength, but because of the power of God going with them. You know, here they are delivered into the hands of those people, and the power of God goes with them again in their weakness and brings about their deliverance. And yet, these people keep turning away from the very one that delivers them. For us, as the church, we need to not relish in our strength, but to relish in our weakness. But in that weakness, stay completely and totally dependent on God. Now, if we do not, if we start trusting in our own strength, our own ability, if we start trusting in the systems and the society around us, we are going to be shocked at it not working. What is possible with God is possible not when we boast in our own abilities, our own talents, our own strengths. And it's what is possible in God is not possible when we are doing things a different way. We need to do things God's way. God's way. You know, the ball worship that we see in scripture, it's not a whole lot different than what goes on in our society today. The tendency of us as a people to trust in our own strength, whether that is we trust in our careers, our bank accounts, our physical strength, our health, our, you know, our, whatever, whatever it is, we trust in the government and the systems of our society. When we trust in that more than we trust in God, we end up fairly disappointed. And it's so important, this truth. It's so important that we understand that we can trust in God and God alone. Otherwise, we, like the Israelites that we see of the Old Testament, will get ensnared over and over and over worshiping things that we are not meant to worship. And when we are worshiping those things, God's grace, you know, is, it's not that God is like, I'm going to leave you. But he also, in our free will, allows us to hand ourselves over to them. So if we're going to worship our career, then we'll be handed over to that. If we're going to worship things in our society like pornography, or which is just basically a worship of lust and sex, then, hey, we get handed over to that. I've heard people that were drug addicts talking about, you really want to understand worship, get addicted to a drug. Right? That people that have been caught up in the throes of addiction, that they find out what real worship is because they cannot survive without the next hit, or they feel that. Our worship is not our singing. And it's beautiful. We have an amazing worship team. I love Dave Campbell said when he was here last week, he just loves coming to our church because most churches he goes into worship as a performance. 
And when he comes here, you know, the team does a great job of leading us actually into the presence of God. They're not just performing for us on stage. And that's just a testimony to the hearts of, those, of the people, of Josh and the team and, and what they've done, done there. But worship is not our singing. Worship is our heart attitude towards God. And we can give that worship to anything. We can worship our career. We can worship our children. We can worship our spouse. We can worship our, we can worship, uh, you know, so many negative things in place of God. Should we have a career? Should we have a spouse? Should we have children? Absolutely. I'm not saying those things are bad or wrong. What I'm saying is what actually has our heart? Where do we trust in? If you lost your job today, is your world going to be destroyed? You know, is your faith in God going to go out the window because you don't have a job? Because with that the case, then it tells you where your faith was, and it wasn't in God. You know, anything that can rock us and make us go, well, you know, God, you didn't do this the way that I thought. It, when, when we find ourselves in that place... When we find ourselves in that place, it shows us that maybe our, our, our heart actually wasn't with God in the first place. This thing of ball worship stood out to me as I was, as I was uh, preparing for today. Because we live in a society that is so confused. We live in a society that, act, that, that worships individualism, free will, that worships sex, that worships all kinds of promiscuity, all kinds of, of things that are the opposite of how God tells us to live. And more and more, the church is getting confused and embracing all these different things and saying it's all good and okay. And what we're doing is worshiping the same spirit as Baal. And we're sacrificing our children to it. We're sacrificing our children to it. And... You know, if, you, if, you are, if you're struggling with an addiction today, whether that be to drugs, whether that be to pornography, if you're struggling with an issue regarding your sexuality or sexual identity, if you're struggling, you know, with, with anything, God's grace is sufficient for you today. God loves you. God loves you, and God, by his power, wants to set you free. And you can go to God and say, God, I have been... Like, God, I just want to be honest. This thing is a, an issue in my life. I need help. I need help. And let God set you free. And Greg spoke I, I spoke when he spoke a couple weeks ago. He talked about being caught up in addiction to pornography. I've had the same problem in my life before and caught up in that. And it does. It feels like, man, how am I ever going to get free of this? And... You know, if you are, I've said before, if you're struggling, especially with something like sexual identity, it can feel like, how, this feels like me, how would I ever get free of this? And yet, God wants you to be free. And the worst thing we can do is judge or condemn anybody that's going through anything. But the, you know, we don't want to judge or condemn, but the other side of that, the worst thing we can do is say that, it, that this is who God's made you to be. And this is how you're meant to live on any of these issues. Because God has wired in you for worship. He's got wired in you for connection. 
He's wired in you for love. But that love is meant to be directed to him. First and foremost. Him first and foremost. Now again, I've known people that are like, yeah, yeah, I just, I'm praying for a spouse. And as soon as I get a spouse, well, that becomes the excuse, you know, to change the direction of their life and not live for God anymore. Or I just need this job. And before they get the job, everything's great. But then they get the job and that job takes them away from God. Or I just want to have children. And they have children. And then the children, you know, well, the children have to become everything. And that's what takes them away from the things that God has from them. So, you know, or it doesn't have to be a negative thing like, you know, sex and drugs. It can be things that seem really good in our lives, that seem really good. Our weakness is our strength. Our weakness, uh, uh, where we go, I cannot bring about. If you're stuck in those things, you go, you know, I can't change. Like, I don't know how to change. But it's, it's by going to God. It's by recognizing that he is the one and the only one that can deliver us from that evil. And truly going to him and truly inviting his goodness into our life that we can once and for all be set free. And that's how we actually have a testimony and answer for this broken world. Right? It's not by your willpower. If we say to people, listen, it's by your willpower and it's by your fortitude and it's by your might. And if you were just strong enough and if you had better character, then your life would be better. That is not good news for people. You know, that is not what brings about change in people's lives. You know, it's not... It is, is self-control and a, a fruit of the Spirit? Absolutely. But it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit working in us. So the more that we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives, the more we're comfortable we get going to God, the more we go, okay, God, I don't have answers, then his fruit he starts growing in our life. The fruit of the Spirit starts growing in our life and setting us free from these things that bring about nothing but sin and death. And that is good news. That is good news. So we do, each and every one of us, have answers for this broken world that we live in. We, we have answers. And each one of us has this Holy Spirit living within us. And we want to be a people that will cultivate that spirit. Just like Paul, that would say, look, the power of Christ is made perfect in my weakness. The power of Christ is going, hey, I cannot change you, but God can. I can't set you free, but God can. I can't bring about change your life. I don't have an answer to your problem, but God does. So let's go to him together. Let's, you know, re- let me tell you about how good God is. Let me tell you that he's a good father. You know, there's a meme that, came, that comes across uh, my social media at times, and it says that religion says, you know, that when I do something wrong, I better run away from God. I'm going to be in trouble. But relationship with God says when I've done something wrong, I better go and talk to my dad. So today, may we boast in our weakness. May we boast in our weakness. And may we allow God in, to 
each and, each and every one of our lives. If one of the things that I've been talking about today you've been struggle, you're struggling with, I want to tell you, A, you're not alone, and there is a way out. And today, you can make a choice to go to God, to come to him, the good father, and say, God, I confess to you that I have a problem. And this is a problem, and I need your help. I need your help. And in that, I would highly encourage you to go to one of the leaders in the community just because they're trustworthy or someone else that you know that you can trust. And talk to them. Because you're not going to get judged by them. You're going to get prayed for. You're going to get walked alongside. You're going to get encouraged. And as I say, no one here has the ability to fix you. But God has the ability to set you free. And man, that's so great. It takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off. We partner with him in our weakness so that he can be strong. We partner with him in our weakness so that he can be strong. Now, if you're not struggling with any of these things today, that's amazing. If you've already been set free from these different things, that's amazing because you, again, don't have the ability to change people, but you certainly have the ability to demonstrate God's love and let his power work in and through you into people's lives. And let's each one of us be those ministers. Let's each, be, each one of us be that. Because this world needs the sons and daughters of God to arise. This world doesn't need more knowledge. It doesn't need more it doesn't need more, you know, theory. It needs the sons and daughters of God to, to be the living word, to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, to pray for people, to see them set free, to tell them the good news about Jesus, to tell them the good news that Jesus Christ died for them. He died for all mankind. That includes every single person out there. You know, that he died for them. And for us to be able to share that truth with people, to say that he died for you. And what does that mean? It means he set you free. He wants you free. He once and for all has conquered sin and death in your life. And you can live a different way. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, he can help. And lead people with the good news of the one who once and for all conquered sin and death. Amen? Amen. As you are, we, we go through life, Ashish mentioned about people, maybe they're upset or angry at God of different things. It, if you're angry at God, be honest with him about that. You know, if you're angry at your own dad, hopefully you could be honest and go, hey, you really ticked me off. Whatever it is that we're going through in our weakness, that we would go to God and work that out with him and allow him to work with us. Amen? This community, Lifehouse, you know, I believe it is a safe place and it needs to always be that. This should be a place that people can confess anything and they are not going to be judged. We're not going to go, we're not going to celebrate sin, but we're not going to judge we're going to walk alongside in love 
and go, hey, okay, God's got an answer. Let's go to him. Let's walk in his ways. You know, let's walk together. And if someone comes to you with something and you don't know what to do, go to one of the leaders. You know, if they don't know what to do, they'll go to somebody else. You know, so we'll go together in our weakness to God and let him lead us and him be the one that brings about the radical change in each and every one of our lives. Amen? Amen. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I pray you have an amazing week. And Lord, I just pray your blessing over each and every one of us, God, that we would be a people that in our weakness, we'd, we'd know we're strong, that God, your grace would be sufficient for each and every one of us, that we would be a people that would allow you to train us in righteousness, that we wouldn't turn to worshiping the things of this world, but that we would worship you and you alone. That God, in our weakness, you would be strong. May the reality and truth of that just be embraced in our lives. Amen. Amen. This was really awesome. So, so thanks, James. Uh, you know, some of the things that James shared, they are really deep. So spend some time this week. Look at the videos from the past and spend some time because these will really help you to grow. Okay, so um, as we close the service, once again, thank you so much. And uh, we love your kids. Uh, but please don't forget to pick them up after the service. Okay, so, and then, um, and we can we can actually hang out here uh, in this particular auditorium, um, and there are coffee and cookies. So so just spend time fellowshipping, and if you've signed up for the welcome lunch, then we'll see you guys in a bit at the Life House Center. So have a wonderful week. God bless you all. <laughs>